welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 101, I Shall Not Want. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. All right, today we are talking about Psalms. We're into a totally different format. Last week we did Job, and Job was was poetry, a lot of it. There was prose kind of at the beginning at the end, and poetry in the middle, but not quite like what we're reading today. When we're into Psalms, the word psalm means song of praise, and these are basically ancient hymns. So when you're reading this, I want you to just think about if you were to just open our hymn book and start reading the hymns, which is actually one of my favorite things to do. I usually do that during the sacrament. We're not really sure who wrote psalms. We know, sort of, we know that David wrote about half of them. As far as we are aware, it's attributed to David. And Solomon wrote some. And then some were written by special Levites, who, if you remember, are the priests that are allowed to officiate in the temple, who were musicians. So likely some of these were songs that they would sing at at different services. As you read these, you're you're going to notice that there is a wide array of emotion. There's there's happiness and gratitude. There's uh, a repentant feeling. There's sadness. There's loneliness. There's all kinds of emotions in these psalms. Now I'm going to be a little transparent with you as far as how to read them, or at least how I think you should read them. I, when I was preparing for this, I sat down and I read the entire reading pretty much all in one sitting. And that was hard (laughs) because a lot of it is, is kind of similar. It's not a story. And so it's, it's, it's fun to read for a little bit, but then it gets, I don't know if I quite want to say repetitive, but it, it didn't really hold my attention super well. And so if I were you, as you read the readings this week, I would do them in small stints. Because as you read a psalm in a small amount of time, just like one little chapter, they're typically not very long, then you're able to appreciate it more for what it is. Because when I read it in one big stretch, I had a hard time. And also remember what the Come Follow Me manual said last week that we read. Sometimes the psalms are a little hard to understand. So sometimes what you might want to do is just get a feeling out of that. How does this psalm make me feel? Even if I don't understand everything it said, how does it make me feel? And then what questions can I ask from that psalm or from whatever verses stood out to me? So that's what we're going to talk about today. I am going to talk about a verse that stood out to me. It's a it's a pretty famous verse. And what questions we can ask, how we can get a lot out of the study of that verse. Psalms 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now that's the verse that we're going to talk about, but I want to just really quick at the beginning, there's a lot of other really good verses in this psalm. So we are going to read the whole thing and then we're going to go back and we are going to dissect that first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they shall comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now those words that we all know were written by David. As you hear that, how do you think he's feeling? Like I said, there's a wide range of of emotion in these psalms. But in this one, how is he feeling? He's feeling secure. He's feeling safe with the Lord. He's feeling confident in the Lord. He's feeling grateful. I could keep going on. Let's talk about what questions we can ask just from that very short first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord. How can I know who the Lord is? Let's assume I'm somebody who believes that there is a God, but I'm not sure who God is. How do I know that the Savior, that Jesus Christ, is the Lord? And who is he? What does it mean to not want? And why, because of the shepherd, will I have no want? And then kind of the same question as asking, how do I know who the Lord is? How did David have such confidence that he used words like, the Lord is my shepherd, like he knows, and I shall not want, like he knows that that is the result of trusting in this Lord? In every verse that you read, really in any scripture, you can ask so many questions. I challenge you to do that this week. As you find verses that stand out to you, ask as many questions as you can think of, even if they're questions that seem like they have an obvious answer. And then look for the answers. Study the topics related to that. Look up general conference talks. Look up the cross-reference scriptures that are in that chapter. There's so much more that you can get from each verse. This just popped into my mind. I listened to an interview recently where whoever the interviewee was, he was talking about how the church did a survey. And in this particular survey, they asked the members if they read their scriptures, studied the scriptures daily. And the findings were is that only a tiny percentage of the church members read their scriptures daily. Now, I'm not going to try and pretend to be any better. I don't I typically don't read my scriptures every single day. I definitely miss lots of days. And when I heard that, it made me feel so sad. We have the gift of these incredible scriptures. The knowledge, the word of God, and we don't study them daily. We live in a time where the literacy rate is far and above what it ever has been, but not just the literacy rate, the fact that we even have access to scriptures in multiple formats and we don't read the scriptures every day. I don't read the scriptures every day. When I think about that for myself, I feel sad and I feel like I need to repent. So this week, I want you guys to make a promise to yourself that you are going to read these scriptures. You're not going to just listen to this podcast or other podcasts. You are going to take small stints again, because this one's hard to read in a big chunk, but take small amounts of time to just read a chapter and then take your favorite verse in that chapter and ask some questions. Okay, let's get back to the questions I asked. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why should I choose this Lord, this Jesus Christ, 
to be my shepherd? And how can I know that he is the Lord that I'm told he is? That, of course, comes first down to acquiring faith. Faith is a hard, hard thing for a lot of people. Some people are given the spiritual gift of of having faith come easy to them. But especially in a world where we have such confusion, such information, such access to, to knowledge and to proof right in front of our eyes, faith can be a hard thing. And I was looking at a bunch of general conference talks about faith and about gaining testimonies. And I found that the very best reminder of how I can gain a testimony was in Alma 32. So we are going to read some of that so you guys can remember how you can know who the Lord is and that he is who he says he is. Alma 32, starting in verse 21. And now, as I said concerning faith, faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things. Therefore, if ye have faith, ye hope for things which are not seen, which are true. And now behold, I say unto you, and I would that ye should remember that God is merciful unto all who believe on his name. Therefore, he desireth in the first place that ye should believe, yea, even on his word. Now, as I said concerning faith, that it was not a perfect knowledge, even so it is with my words, ye cannot know of their surety at first unto perfection, any more than faith is a perfect knowledge. But behold, if ye will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment, Upon my words, and exercise a particle of faith, yea, even if ye can no more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you, even until ye believe in a manner that ye can give place for a portion of my words. Now we will compare the word unto a seed. Now if ye give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if ye do not cast it out by your unbelief, that ye will resist the Spirit of the Lord, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you feel these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourself, It must needs be that this is a good seed, or that the word is good, for it beginneth to enlarge my soul. Yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. Now behold, would this not increase your faith? I say unto you, Yea. Nevertheless, it hath not grown up to a perfect knowledge. But behold, as the seed swelleth, and sprouteth, and beginneth to grow, Then you must needs say that the seed is good, for behold, it swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow. And now behold, will not this strengthen your faith? Yea, it will strengthen your faith. For ye will say, I know that this is a good seed, for behold, it sprouteth and beginneth to grow. And now behold, are ye sure that this is a good seed? I say unto you, yea, for every seed bringeth forth unto its own likeness. Therefore, if a seed groweth, it is good. But if it groweth not, behold, it is not good. Therefore, cast it away. And now behold, because ye have tried the experiment, and planted the seed, and it swelleth, and sprouteth, and beginneth to grow, ye must needs know that the seed is good. And now behold, is your knowledge perfect? Yea, your knowledge is perfect in that thing, and your faith is dormant. And this because you know, for ye know that the word hath swelled your souls, and ye also know that it hath sprouted up, and that your understanding doth begin to be enlightened, and your mind doth begin to expand. Oh, then, is this not real? I say unto you, yea, because it is light. And whatsoever is light is good, because it is discernible. Therefore ye must know that it is good. And now, behold, after ye have tasted this light, is your knowledge perfect. Behold, I say unto you, nay, neither must ye lay aside your faith. For ye have only exercised your faith to plant the seed, that ye might try the experiment to know if the seed was good. And behold, as the tree beginneth to grow, ye will say, 
Let us nourish it with great care, that it may get root, that it may grow up, and bring forth fruit unto us. And now behold, if ye nourish it with much care, it will get root, and grow up, and bring forth fruit. But if ye neglect the tree, and take no thought for its nourishment, behold, it will not get any root. And when the heat of the sun cometh, and scorcheth it, because it hath no root, it withers away, and ye pluck it up, and cast it out. Now this is not because the seed was not good. Neither is it because the fruit thereof would not be desirable, but it is because your ground is barren, and ye will not nourish the tree, therefore ye cannot have the fruit thereof. And thus, if ye will not nourish the word, looking forward with an eye of faith to the fruit thereof, ye can never pluck of the fruit of the tree of life. But if ye will nourish the word, yea, nourish the tree as it beginneth to grow, by your faith with great diligence, and with patience looking forward to the fruit thereof, it shall take root. And behold, it shall be a tree springing up unto everlasting life. And because of your diligence and your faith and your patience, with the word in nourishing it, that it may take root in you, behold, by and by ye shall pluck the fruit thereof, which is most precious, which is sweet above all that is sweet, and which is white above all that is white, yea, and pure above all that is pure. And ye shall feast upon this fruit even until you are filled. And ye hunger not, neither shall ye thirst. Then, my brethren, Shall ye reap the rewards of your faith and your diligence and patience and long-suffering, waiting for the tree to bring forth fruit unto you? Don't you just love Alma 32? I, I truly, I couldn't find anything better than Alma 32. I looked at tons of talks, and that is the most clear, precise description of the way to acquire faith that I could find. So how can we know that the Lord is who we are told He is? That is how. That is how every testimony you have ever heard has been acquired. That is how the brethren, the First Presidency, and the Council of the Twelve Apostles, that is how they gave their testimony that they stated in the living Christ. We solemnly testify that his life, which is central to all human history, neither began in Bethlehem nor concluded on Calvary. He was the firstborn of the Father and the only begotten Son in the flesh, the Redeemer of the world. They gained that testimony through that recipe of faith. And who was he? He was the great Jehovah of the Old Testament, the Messiah of the New. Under the direction of his father, he was the creator of the earth. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Though sinless, he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He went about doing good, yet he was despised for it. His gospel was a message of peace and goodwill. He entreated all to follow his example. He walked the roads of Palestine, healing the sick, causing the blind to see, and raising the dead. He taught the truths of eternity, the reality of our premortal existence, the purpose of our life on earth, the potential for our sons and daughters of God in the life to come. He instituted the sacrament as a reminder of his great atoning sacrifice. He was arrested and condemned on spurious charges, convicted to satisfy a mob, and sentenced to die on Calvary's cross. He gave his life to atone for the sins of all mankind. His gift was a great vicarious gift in behalf of all those who would ever live upon the earth. That is who David spoke of when he said, The Lord is my shepherd. Now what is a shepherd? Why is the Lord described as my shepherd? In December 1985 Enzyme, Homer Ellsworth said this of Christ as our shepherd. 
In introducing his mission among men, Jesus identified himself as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In the Savior's time and place, a shepherd who was the owner of the sheep not only loved them, but would risk his life for them. This was true of David. When his father's sheep were attacked by a bear and a lion, David slew them both. At the time he was anointed by Samuel to be king, David was the shepherd of a flock in Bethlehem. And through his lineage, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, the good shepherd whose flock would take in all the world. Think about that really quick. David, who wrote this psalm that we're talking about, said, The Lord is my shepherd. He was a shepherd himself. He knew what being a shepherd meant when he said those words. Continuing on, the Savior provided his disciples with ways of recognizing him. He compared the true shepherd to one who does not really care for his flock, who just tends sheep for a living. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. This may be an allegory about the wolf of Satan coming in various ways to catch and to scatter the sheep. Here the hireling shepherd is one who gives way instead of resisting Satan's temptations. But the Savior points out that he is the good shepherd and that he knows his sheep, that they are known of him, and that he will lay down his life for them, all of them. This, of course, reminds us of the passage in 3 Nephi. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Also in John chapter 10, verse 7, the Savior explains that it is through him as the Savior and only him that mankind can gain entrance into his heavenly Father's kingdom. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. There were two kinds of sheepfolds in Jesus' time. One in a large building with beams covered with tree branches and straw was used in the winter for the sheep. In the summer and spring, the sheep for an entire town were kept in a large enclosure open to the sky, but with walls high enough to keep predators out. At night, all the individual family shepherds brought their flocks to the large fold, and one man stood guard through the night instead of all the shepherds. Jesus used this parable to illustrate that he was the shepherd who took care of the sheep at night. He was the protector and guardian of the flock, and no man could come unto the fold without knowing the gospel and knowing his relationship to his Father in heaven. Indeed, Jesus is the gatekeeper, and he employeth no servant there. I love that last part, for he employeth no servant there. We already talked earlier in this quote about what the hireling, what the servant would do. The servant will not give up his life for the sheep. The shepherd will. And knowing that, the cross-reference for this verse is 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 41. O then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way for man is narrow, but it lieth in a straight course before him. And the keeper of the gate, remember what we just talked about with the gate and the Savior. And the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employeth no servant there. And there is none other way, save it be by the gate, for he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. Okay, next question for this verse. How is David able to use such definitive words? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How does he know? How does he have such confidence? The definition of shall, rather than will, or some other version of that, 
shall is expressing a strong assertion or intention. Bishop Richard Edgeley talked about in fall 1994 General Conference about how we can get to a place where we feel confident enough in the Lord that we can use a definitive word like shall. And really quickly, before I start to give you some context with this quote, before this part of the quote, he talks about an experience he had when he was shooting free throws in an important game when he was younger and how each time he would try to shoot the free throw, it was like in his mind, the basket got smaller and smaller and he didn't have confidence that the ball could even fit in there. And he talked about excellent free throwers who see the basketball basket as ample size and they have high confidence that the ball can fit in there. Okay, so that being said, he said, Our confidence is either waxing strong in the Lord or waxing strong in Satan. When Nephi and his brothers were asked to go back to Jerusalem for the plates of brass, Nephi, because of his past experiences and preparation, saw that basket as very large. He knew he could do it. He said, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he hath commanded them. On the other hand, Laman and Lemuel, who already had a history of complaining and neglecting their responsibilities, saw the basket as very small and thus rebelled. Laman and Lemuel did not have the confidence or the faith that comes from a righteous preparation. They did not believe they could make the shot. When David went to battle against Goliath, he was discouraged by Saul, who reminded him that he was just a child and not able to go against the giant Goliath. David replied, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. David had made his previous foul shots and he saw the basket as very large. When Joseph Smith went into the grove of trees, when he began the translation of the Book of Mormon and when he organized the church with just six members, his confidence was strong in the Lord. The Savior talked about teaching line upon line and precept upon precept. This is how we prepare ourselves to magnify our callings, act upon act and deed upon deed. Each good act makes the basket larger and prepares us to further magnify our callings. When you young Aaronic priesthood bearers administer and pass the sacrament worthily and reverently, the view of the basket becomes a little larger, as does your confidence in the Lord and your ability to act in righteousness. For those who have withstood so-called minor temptations— Your ability to overcome Satan in the moments of major testing becomes easier. For those of you who have developed a relationship with your Heavenly Father and the Savior through scripture study and prayer, your basket is large and your confidence waxes strong. I am acutely aware that each of us sees our own basket as a different size. Some may feel as though they are in a string of 18 consecutive misses, and the basket they are now shooting at is very diminished. I have known men, young and old, whose previous decisions or actions have caused them to lose confidence in themselves and in the Lord. It was as though their arms and legs were frozen stiff, and the task of breaking the cycle of sin or failure seemed almost insurmountable. But a true understanding of the Savior's mission lets us know that through true repentance our baskets can be restored to regulation size. Every wise choice, every responsible exercising of priesthood, and every act of service enhances our confidence in the Lord. Brethren of the priesthood and sisters, let us hit our foul shots, let us do our duty, every single time we step to the line, that our confidence might wax strong in the presence of God, that the doctrine of the priesthood may distill upon our souls as the dews from heaven. 
for we are the priesthood of God. So obviously he was talking to the men there, but that is how we gain confidence in the Lord. And as we do what we're supposed to be doing as we follow the commandments, our confidence increases. We realize that the Lord, as we have the spirit with us, that we cannot miss, that in fact, he is guiding our shot as we shoot it. So ask yourself, what can you do so that you can state as firmly and confidently as David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And now speaking of want, here's our last question. The cross reference for want is Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And then the other cross-reference is the topical guide, the word contentment. Isn't it interesting to think that the cross-reference for shall not want is contentment. Contentment is happiness and satisfaction. When I think of contentment, I think about being happy with what you have, being satisfied with what you are given. It doesn't mean that you have everything you ever asked for, but it means that you are content with what you have. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You are content with the Savior and with the mission he's given you here on earth. Under contentment in the topical guide, it gives you all kinds of scriptures that remind you that the gospel is love and peace. The Savior can give us peace. And when we are at peace, we shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you feel that the way that David felt it? If not, we've talked about how to get there, and we figured that out by asking questions from this verse. One of my favorite parts about what we studied last week in Job is that it's a book of questions. Questions are welcomed and acceptable to the Lord. So as you read this week, ask questions. Read these verses, feel if they resonate with you. And if they don't, ask questions, figure out how to get there. You can learn from reading David that his spiritual journey, it was not just a pathway up. It was up and down. He felt lonely. He felt sad. He felt repentant and ashamed. He felt happy. He felt content. So as you read these, ask questions that will help you get to the place that David was when he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Knowing that is essential to us making it successfully spiritually through this life. Knowing that he is, knowing that we need him. On Sunday, I had a dream. And for those of you in my ward that listen, I'm sorry, you already heard this, but I had a dream. And it was, it was about Jesus. In the last area I lived, I knew the man who plays Jesus in all the New Testament videos. And so in my dream, he was there. And he was there because I was planning a birthday party. And at this birthday party, I really, really wanted to give my friend the Savior. And it was a friend that I feel could really, really use the peace that the Savior brings but I knew that she wouldn't want me to just talk about the Savior and that I needed to find a different way to give her the Savior. And so in this dream, I hired Jesus to come be at this birthday party. And parts of this are funny, you know, because it's a dream. But in the dream, I wanted Jesus to wear 
um, a, like a cloth over his head, like he does sometimes when he's in paintings and he he's a shepherd. But this particular Jesus didn't want to wear the cloth over his head because he said his hair was his best feature. So <laughs> obviously that's not like the real Jesus. But in my dream, my intent truly was that I desperately wanted to gift my friend the Savior. And after that point during the party, we sat down and we meditated with this hired Savior. And we all tried to get to a place where we could pretend that the Savior was really there with us. And in the moments in the dream when I believed this, it was an incredible feeling. <laughs> now, I realize that's just a funny, a funny dream. But my point is, is that the best gift we can give ourselves and others is confidence and knowledge that Jesus Christ is our shepherd. And that if we allow him to be our shepherd, we shall not want. Let's end with the words of Enos in the Book of Mormon, who had great confidence in the Redeemer. He says in verse 27, chapter 1, And I soon go to the place of my rest, which is with my Redeemer, for I know that in him I shall rest. And I rejoice in the day when my mortal shall put on immortality and shall stand before him. Then shall I see his face with pleasure, and he will say unto me, Come unto me, ye blessed. For there is a place prepared for you in the mansions of my Father. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.